0: So you, you have to put a lot of thought into what life will look like for spending purposes and what kind of cash flow do they need. And then the obviously the structures are working with the accountant and attorney on estate planning and, and making sure all of the, the kind of nuts and bolts of the transaction are done correctly.
1: From Ray & Associates' studio, this is Unsuitable, a management and financial services podcast for entrepreneurs, tenured business leaders, and others who are ready to look beyond the suit-and-tie culture for meaningful, measurable results. I'm Doug Hauser. I hate to be the one to break it to you, but none of us are getting any younger. Of course, nobody likes to be reminded of this fact, but when you are a business owner, thinking about what will happen to your business when you reach retirement age can be especially anxiety-inducing. Today, Joel Guth, CEO and founder of Griffin Financial Partners, has seen countless owners grapple with this type of situation over the years, and he helps clients approach future liquidity events holistically. On this episode of Unsuitable, Joel will reveal how three simple questions can uncover your ideal course of action. Welcome to Unsuitable, Joel. Thank you. Great to have you here, and our, our mutual friend, Chad Bice, says hello as well. I just with him on the phone beforehand. So he says just to, to say hi. But um, I loved when we got together last time in terms of hearing about your approach to business succession and succession planning. We hear so much about that these days. Um, so talk a little bit about, I think, the unique approach that, that you and, and Griffin take.
0: Well, first of all, thank you for having me looking forward to doing this. And, you know, for us, we've worked with over 50 families who've sold privately held companies, and hopefully we've learned a few things as we've done it. Mm -hmm. And and for us, it really comes to a couple things. It starts with what's the real goal, what's driving the idea of of embarking on a succession plan. And then it, it really is helping the owner think through you know, what they want to accomplish, what life will look like afterwards, and, and what is life going to entail when they're no longer the CEO or the owner of the business.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's attacking or, or thinking about kind of those, those emotional things and, and all of that that comes sort of with that transition.
0: It is. I, I think we lose sight sometimes of how much of our identity is tied up in our job, who yeah. we are, who we are as a person. If you ask a business owner many times, you know, who they are, they identify as the owner or the CEO of XYZ company. Sure. And when you are no longer the owner, who are you and what are you going to do with your life? And, And many of them are selling their businesses in their 50s and have 30 plus years to live. And trying to recreate themselves and find fulfillment in a next journey is very difficult.
1: Yeah, so I think that that part of the approach is, in, in, in terms of thinking about that aspect, is just absolutely wonderful. You just you don't see that enough, and we we see that all the time when you're with business owners. They're focused on, "Well, I want to get this multiple or or whatever." That's this, what they seem to hear with their peers and friends, and they don't they don't think about those things enough.
0: And, and we try to. You know, obviously being a money management firm, all of the money issues are very important and certainly need to be addressed. And I think we address that really, really well, but we always try to emphasize that the money you've created, the wealth you've created is merely a tool. That's not the end all. It's a tool to go do what you want to do with the rest of your life. So who do you want to impact? Whether that's family, whether that's the community, whether it's a specific organization, how do you want to impact them? And then you know something as simple as what are you going to do with your time? Yeah, because we forget replacing sixty or seventy or eighty hours a week that you were working isn't an easy task at first. It is because you do your your kind of bucket list. Sure, and we're going to travel and we're going to do this. And what we've seen, and I'm sure you guys have seen it as well, is around that eighteen month time frame. Yeah, they really start to struggle with day to day activities because. And, and we will take them through an exercise of, well, I'm going to golf. Okay, well, how many rounds? Twice a week. Okay, so there's eight hours. Right. Maybe 10 hours as you sit and have a drink with your buddies after you golf. Well, I'm going to work out more. Okay, so, well, there's seven hours, right? An hour a day. Yeah. So, now we've got 17 hours. So, we still need to replace 53 hours. What yeah. are we going to do? And so, you, you get, so, you get that granular we, with them. Sometimes if yeah. somebody's really struggling because I, I, I don't think – We don't know what we don't know when we embark on a journey for the first time. Mm -hmm. For most entrepreneurs and business owners, they will sell one business in their life. And they've worked at that business for a number of years. So they haven't had free time and liquidity. And so they don't know what life looks like. So the more they are struggling to envision the future, the more we try to get granular so that they can start to think through what they're going to do. And sometimes they conclude... That maybe selling the business isn't the right path because yeah. they will be unhappy. And, and maybe the economics right now, we have record high multiples. Sure. Uh, you have a lot of money in private equity that's coming after privately held businesses. So from an economic standpoint, it's it's easy to argue today is when you should sell, sell your company. But at the end of the day, why did you create the business in the first place? Yeah. Many times it was because you were passionate. Sure. Maybe you wanted to create a legacy. Maybe you wanted a great place for people to work. Maybe you wanted to create something for your family. And just because it's the right economic decision doesn't necessarily make it the right personal decision. Right. And so we've had clients who've gone through that process and discovered, I would be really unhappy if I sold my company. Yeah. And you know the statistics are a little overwhelming in terms of the number of business owners. If you look out two, three, five years who are unhappy and who regret selling their business. Yeah. And and so for us, it really is right to get the foundation correct. And it's critical to understand, I'm going to do this. This is why I'm doing it. This is what life will look like when I'm done. Yeah. And I'm going to be as happy or happier when I exit.
1: Yeah. I And I applaud you for that approach. It's something I've sort of learned the hard way in, in my career too, in dealing with clients that have uh, approached uh, transactions and looked at liquidity events. And I never thought about those types of things when helping them through that process. But in recent years, I've started to embrace that much more because it is important. And you hear from clients, I know we have clients that have even uh, done, say an ESOP transaction where they haven't exited, but they've cut back from say 75 hours to 35 hours. And again, what do you do with those, those hours? So I, I think getting that granularity and you sitting down doing that is is fantastic. So then do you develop sort of a model? You start there and sort of back into what they
0: they need and,
1: and want from there financially?
0: We do. And and you know, I, I think that again, the the economic piece of it sometimes is easier because yeah. one, that's where their head is. And sure. two, it's what we do every day right and and so we do spend an inordinate amount of time understanding you know how much do they need to walk away to do everything that they want to do and and we help them start to recast what life will look like because many of them will buy a second home maybe a third home they're going to travel they're going to spend time here there and everywhere else so you you have to put a lot of thought into what life will look like for spending purposes and what kind of cash flow do they need and then, the, obviously, the structures are working with the accountant and attorney on estate planning and, and making sure all of the, the kind of nuts and bolts of the transaction are done correctly. We, we kind of think about it in terms of what do you have, what do you want to do, how are we going to do it, and what do we need to get it done?
1: Okay. And then once, say, the transaction is done, you still continue to work with that that individual or that family to try to maintain that the, those those goals, right? And and yeah. they can be fluid, probably.
0: I'm sure it, it is. It is fluid. And one of the things we we just had a meeting with a business owner the other day, and you know we kind of have a list of things that we think will happen that he doesn't think will happen or she doesn't uh, think will happen. Interesting. So what are some know, of those? Oh, uh, I'm not going to buy any toys right? (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm just, we're going to, life's going to be the way it is. And invariably they go on a vacation and while they're on a vacation, they've, we've decided to buy a house in Florida or we're going to buy a house in in Arizona or, you know, I really do want the new car. And and so I am going to do that. Or, you know, there's always, you know, I I joke that when you take people who have the DNA to create a valuable business and you give them money and free time, they're going to do something. (laughs) They're not going to sit at home and do nothing. Excellent point. And so they always underestimate the liquidity they need. They also overestimate their risk tolerance because they go from having a job that they're in control of where they've controlled their paycheck for maybe 20, 30, 40 years to now where the market forces are driving their net worth. They're not in control of the market forces, so they overestimate how much risk they're willing to take. Mm. And, And so- the ongoing work with them is we kind of think about it in two segments is the initial stage is the setup and helping them adjust to life post sale. Sure. And having all this liquidity and how do you go about investing it and how do you invest it prudently. And then it's kind of life after that 18 month window where they start to think about what will the rest of their life look like and how do they settle into the rest of their okay. life and where are they going to spend it? And what is the cash flow need to kind of sustain that over a thirty year period? Sure.
1: So, how often uh, do you meet with somebody as, as as you go through this process? I mean, everybody's different, of course, but what's a best yeah. practice
0: in in your mind? Great question. So, initially, we meet with them a lot as yeah. we're trying to get the setup right, and and that may be monthly for a twelve month window. Okay, but then once we get into kind of more of a steady state, we meet quarterly. Um, and then we have monthly touch base calls so that gotcha. we are kind of in, in tune with what's happening, what's changing. And and you said, a, you said it very, very well, it is extremely fluid in those first two or three years. Okay. Okay.
1: Now we always try to tell our clients when you're thinking ahead of a uh, some type of liquidity event or succession or transition, no matter what type of it is, whether it's an internal or external, at least try to start two years out. What, what, what are your thoughts in terms of best practice with regard to that?
0: We, we always say two to three years. If we can okay. get a two to three year runway, it allows us to get all of the planning done and assemble the right team, legal accounting yeah. that we need to get everything executed the way we want it executed. And then begin hiring the investment bank and begin the process of going to market. So ideally, we would love to have three years, but, but we would say two is kind of a minimum to get it done and get it done without rushing.
1: Yeah. Now, well you you see uh, some firms out there that tend to become, I would say, very transaction driven, and they they focus on on the event, and they seem only interested in in talking with folks when they know that event is uh, close, let's say, and then you know once the event happens, it's you know bye bye gone, and and we hardly see you anymore. I mean that. I think that leaves a, a poor taste in in uh, some folks' mouths out there. Obviously, you guys don't operate that way. That's uh, I think the approach is uh, why we have you here today, and it's awesome that kind of holistic
0: uh, approach. So, and you know, for us, it's also where we've had the most success. It you know, many of these business owners had an advisory board when they were running their company. Mm. And we encourage them to think about their professional team as their advisory board as we move forward. Yeah, And you know, you mentioned Chad. So we've gotten to know Chad because Chad yeah. is part of that advisory board for a couple of our clients that we share in common. And so we think it's critical that we're meeting as a team on a regular basis with the client, just because you're paying all these very smart people. We might as well have them around the table, adding right. value to your situation. And no one person has the best idea in any area. And so- that ongoing maintenance for us is where you really ensure success.
1: Now, um, this this also makes me think about sort of the rest of the the folks that have an interest in it. So it, whether it's family or um, you know other folks say within in the company, how often do you get the rest of the family members involved and around the table? Is that common? It
0: it is. Now, some of that will depend on the size of the pool of wealth we're dealing with. With the larger the pool, the more often we will have second and third generation together. But we try to do it at least annually. Um, And some of that is an education process because getting the matriarch and patriarch to begin to open up and share their vision And an idea of what kind of wealth we're dealing with, with the second or third generation sometimes can be tough. They, as you know, many entrepreneurs and business owners play things very close to the vest. And we think that once you've created that liquidity, um, there may be trust accounts involved that at some point the second generation is in charge of, or they're going to have the benefit of. So the sooner we can start to educate them, not only about the financial markets, but also about the values of the family and how this wealth was created and what what drove the wealth and what the driver of the wealth hopes happens longer term Right. You know, the, the sooner we can do that, the better. And so we would say at least annually, we do have some families that do it on a quarterly basis. Okay. So
1: that's, now you're getting into more of kind of that legacy. What's the meaning behind all of that? And sometimes it doesn't always
0: translate from generation to generation, right? Oh, I think that is, you know, for, (laughs) for, I'm I'm sure you guys see it as well. For our clients, the biggest concern once they've sold the company is, how is this wealth going to impact my kids? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it, Some of the things we don't think about is the kids may have owned a share of the business when the family was running it, but mom and dad had control of the distributions. Sure. And so they could decide whether to distribute, not distribute. Once you start doing your estate plan and you've established trusts and you put liquidity into those trusts, you know, handling and and managing the distributions sometimes aren't as efficient in terms of the way mom and dad wanted it done because now you have liquidity and you have options. Yeah. And and so that legacy is is really driven by mom and dad beginning to share what's important to them and and sharing their desires and you know we will say that of the capital you have the financial capital is the easiest to handle about how we're going to live it. Leave yeah. it. but that kind of moral and ethical capital which all of us worry much more about our kids and who they are. Sure in terms of their ethics, their moral, their character, their traits, then we do the finances. But I think we focus most of the process with a family is around the financial capital. Mm-hmm. And, and really, you know, what they really care about is they don't want to ruin their kids because they've created this wealth.
1: Yeah, So that's, I think that's awesome. And in, in terms of you, you know, thinking about that and trying to draw that out for families and business owners, because, I know we've encountered situations, we'll sit across the table and, and you know, we'll have, you know, they'll say, here's what I want to do. I want to, you know, I want my kids to run it or, or whatever. And they haven't even asked if their kids want to do that. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you've run into those kind of things too. Yeah. And the kid may say, I'm not interested in running the
0: business. We had a, an instance where the father sold his company and his vision for his retirement was helping his son run a business. Wow. And his son looked at him when he showed up and said, Dad, I I didn't want to work with you, right? I, I I started this business because I didn't want to work with you. And I'm sorry, this isn't, you're not welcome. Yeah. I love you, but I don't want you here every day. We don't, we couldn't work together. Wow. And the father was heartbroken. Yeah. And it was a situation that we came into after they had sold the company and it was liquid. But I, I you know, we, we really do think that that's a situation where if we had been involved two or three years earlier... We would have discovered and, and asked the simple question you just brought up, which is, "Have you asked your son?"
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's yeah. It's it, we we both experienced those kind of stories, and yeah, it's just communicate and and let's deal with it uh, sooner rather than later. Right. You know? right. So we talked a little bit up front about the the kind of three key questions that that if you're a business owner, you want to sort of ask yourself or or to ask. One of those is, when do you want to sell, right? Is that is that kind of the first thing yep. that you lead with? Where where do we go from there once we have, okay, say,
0: I want to sell in three years. What, what you, you know, the next thing we ask him is, ideally, in a perfect world, who would own it? Okay. And, you know, that's a great, as is, is you, you alluded to an ESOP, you know, many times you go through the, oh, geez, I don't think my kids want to own it. Boy, it'd be great if my employees could own it. And then you kind of end up with you know, the reality of the employees owning it and some of the risks that are associated with it. And, and then if you're going to sell it to an outside party, what does that look like and how do you feel? So really it's, when do you want to sell? Ideally, who would you want to own it when you're done? Yeah. And what would you like your involvement to be? Do you want to sell it? And on the day you close, you walk out or do you want to sell it and be involved for a couple of years? Yeah. Um, And just trying to help them understand what, what, once they've made the decision to sell, who would they feel good about owning it and how often do they want to be involved?
1: Yeah. And the ones I know, you know, and there's all different kinds of every situation has its own right answer. Right. I mean, but I think you, as we talked through about making sure that they have some way to remain relevant and how do they identify themselves post transaction. That is so, so critical.
0: It it is. And, you know, one of the things that, that we have found and we try to, have a very thoughtful discussion around is, you know, so many companies now are being bought by private equity
1: yeah.
0: and it, and in, and there are many benefits to a private equity firm owning you, but sometimes for the right person, that's a disaster because you own, you may own 20% of the new entity, but you don't get to make the decision. Right. You have, you have a private equity firm and maybe a board of directors that decides and that's a real shift for an entrepreneur to find out that I can't invest in an area of the business that I think is prudent All right. and I have to get approval. And so just talking through, okay, what would it look like if you are sold to a private equity firm? How is the reporting work? Who are you talking to? How often are you talking to them? How are you going to feel calling and getting approval? Yeah. And, and on the other side, if you sell to a strategic buyer, You know, how are you going to feel that maybe they change the branding? Maybe they shut one or two locations. Maybe they fire key people. Yeah. You know, so there is no utopia when it comes to it. And and every case is very different and very driven by the goals and the personalities of the owners.
1: Yeah. I think that's, you know, sage advice is setting those parameters up front and talking through that, you know, and not just focusing on, hey, we're going to get this transaction done for you.
0: And, and you know, it, I, we would like to think we fill a unique spot in the market in that the banker comes at it from the the aspect of I need to get the deal done and I need to get the deal done for the most amount of money for the family I can. Right. And that's absolutely what you want them thinking. Sure. The legal team comes at it from how do we structure it and make sure the family's protected and make sure all the legal structures are in place. And I think where we have filled a really good gap is to help the family think about, okay, yeah, that's the most, that's the most valuable deal, but is that the deal that's going to fulfill the most of your goals? And is that the deal that's going to allow you to walk out under the terms and circumstances that you really desire? And if it's not, maybe that's not the right deal. And then once we know you're leaving, then you really start to embark on what, what, who are you going to be once we're we're out of here.
1: Yeah, I think that's a unique approach for a financial partner like you guys to to have. Well, thank you. So I, I applaud you for that. And you know, because of that, you probably you don't necessarily take on all comers, right? You know, it's got to be the
0: the right fit. For, it does. It does. And so we spend a lot of time up front with them getting to know us and us getting to know them to make sure that we're the right partner and can add value and 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 we feel fulfilled in what we're doing.
1: Yeah. Just briefly, we want to talk maybe a little bit about trends that we're seeing in the market. Do you still see a lot of private equity money out there and, and deals uh, continuing to happen along those
0: lines? We do. And uh, I mean, private equity firms are raising record amounts. Yeah. Um, the amount of money that's on the sidelines to do deals is is, is at a historical high. And you have lending rates and banks kind of very, very willing to lend money. Um, yeah. Some would argue maybe at levels that aren't prudent. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a ton of liquidity. It's easy to get deals done. Multiples are at an all-time high. Yeah. And I you know, I think that trend continues until the economy slows down.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's uh, good to hear uh, from, uh, from you. And I think these are just wise, wise uh, tidbits that you've shared with us today. And I would encourage anybody who's thinking about succession, transition, and, and some of those life changes to, you know, make sure they have a partner like you that really thinks holistically about this whole process. I think that's invaluable.
0: So well, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it, Joel. Uh, if you want more business tips and insight or to hear previous episodes of Unsuitable, visit our podcast page at www.raecpa.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's show. You can subscribe to unsuitable on iTunes or wherever you like to get your podcasts, including YouTube. I'm Doug Hauser. Join us next week for another unsuitable interview from an industry
0: professional. The views expressed on unsuitable on Ray radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance.